Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this, our 12th episode, we speak with Jason Greenberg, the Marketing, Communications and Events Manager for Baseball Softball UK, which is the UK's <laughs> development agency for the sports. He tells us a bit about the organization and what it's like to cultivate a sport. In addition to the successes and challenges, Jason comments on international differences and brings historical ties with baseball. Remember to check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Sports Technology Podcast. Today, a special guest, we have Jason Greenberg. He's the Marketing, Communications, and Event Manager for Baseball Softball UK. Uh, just for a little bit of background, I met Jason about uh, about two years ago when I first came over and was looking for a baseball team to, to join. Say hello, Jason. Hi. Hi, Jens. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. And with us uh, again today is Henry. Hello. So why don't we just start with Jason. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Talk, tell us a little bit about what you do with Baseball Softball UK, and then um, we'll ask you some questions from there. Well, uh, first time on, but long time fan, guys. Uh, congratulations on 12 episodes. My role uh, in the UK is is really in promoting the sport of, of baseball and softball. And as, apart from my work with Baseball Softball UK, I also have involvement with the Great Britain national baseball teams, and uh, I manage a club out here as well, and we just were competing in the national championships, which was a, a great weekend of, of baseball in the UK. From Seattle originally, and bounced around in, in the US, but have been out in the UK now for six years and really found a home in baseball and softball out here. Um, they're really minority sports in the UK. And it's fun to be involved at the grassroots level with something that's it's really just, uh, I mean, it's been here forever. In fact, the sports were invented in the UK, but uh, they're really just starting to take off as, you know, greater participatory sports. What's the league setup like in, in the country? How many different leagues, how many people roughly are participating in the sport? It's very different for baseball and softball. On the baseball side, the leagues are, there's four adult leagues. The National Baseball League is, is at the elite level, and then there's the AAA, AA, and single A. And the com- level of competitiveness is very different for those leagues. The NBL it would be comparable probably to, you know, good level high school baseball is probably fairly accurate. Most of the National League teams would uh, probably struggle against college teams and certainly Division One college teams. Um, but occasionally you we get you know, quality college players who are coming through the UK that play in that league and and ever so often somebody who's got some pro experience. The single A league by comparison is is really for people who are just getting into the sport and picking up baseball, bats and gloves for the first time or have been out of the sport for quite a while and, and are getting back into it. It's very open and accepting at the single A level. And of course that the demand at that at that level is is on pi- uh, quality pitching um, because that's what keeps the games going. And then there's there's two youth levels. There's the Bronco, which is under 15, and the Pony League, which is under 17. They just had their national championships this, this last weekend. So that's on the baseball side, and, and those are all administered by the British Baseball Federation. On the softball side, leagues are much more autonomous. They're spread out throughout the country. Some are quite large, like the Greater London Mixed Softball League, Probably has it has six divisions and and probably about sixty teams involved and some of the leagues are quite small you know there'll be four or eight teams in in a certain area however rural or or urban and they uh, get together and play softball you know all week long uh, midweek and weekends alike is that with is that fast pitch softball or just uh, no it's slow pitch softball yeah. slow pitch softball is of the three formats of 
of the sport. We call it the three formats of baseball, softball, UK. So, you know, you've got hardball, you've got fast pitch softball, and you've got slow pitch softball. And slow pitch is far and away the most popular. There's, there's, and in fact, it's the UK ranks among the world's countries as, as one of the most successful slow pitch softball nations. The, you know, and I know in the, in the US, it's, it's really looked at as, uh, you know, as kind of a recreational, uh, you know, beer league kind of thing. Yeah. I was um, going to say, like, is there a connection there with the... <laughs> in the, in the UK, it's, it's actually got a different vibe to it. It's, it's more competitive. And the UK, I think now for eight years running has won the European slow pitch championships. And it's, it really is becoming a competitive sport in Europe. And the European Softball Federation is doing a lot to develop the game of slow pitch. It gets people, we, at Baseball Softball UK, we like slow pitch for a lot of reasons. One, it gets people who have never picked up a baseball or softball, you know, before, picked up a bat before, a really smooth entry path into the sports because the ball travels slower. It's easier to throw. It's easier to catch. It's easier to hit. You don't have to worry too much about complicated rules like, you know, and how, you know, stolen bases and, uh, and intentional and walks and, and <laughs> people aren't afraid of getting hit by a pitch. So yeah. it's, it's an easier, um, entry path into the sports. Um, so it's good for building participation. A lot of people make the jump from slow pitch to fast pitch or slow pitch to baseball. And obviously baseball and fast pitch, you know, it helps if you grew up playing the sport, if you, if you played T-ball or coach pitch or Babe Ruth and, and you've kind of grown up understanding the game, watching it on TV. And kids here just don't have that opportunity yet. That's one of the things we're hoping to change. But they don't grow up watching Twins and Mariners games on, on TV. So I suppose with softball, it's a little bit easier in terms of field facilities as well. There's not as many requirements for, for a softball field as there is for a baseball field, right? Absolutely. And for slow pitch softball, really, there's, there's kind of none. I mean, we put a, a premium on quality ground to play on and and of course, the local authorities here will, will hire pitches from them. They mark them out with lines for big tournaments. We'll put up a backstop. But again, it's not like there's a lot of foul balls, you know, directly back towards the catcher in slow pitch softball. So those kinds of requirements aren't necessary. We are working at, at BSUK to up the game a bit and s try and get tournaments to use fully fenced fields and, you know, have uh, proper bases and, uh, and a backstop, which adds to the enjoyment of the game, and it really makes the players feel like they're, you know, they're more engaged in a, in a competition rather than just showing up at a field and throwing down your your sweatshirts as bases. Uh, but obviously, baseball and fast pitch, yeah, they require proper facilities. And one of the big projects that Baseball Softball UK works on is facilities development, and we have a an ongoing facility strategy that's really coming to fruition with a couple new facilities in 2012 and 2013, one of which will become a real national training center and we'll have a showpiece baseball field with lights and dugouts and bleachers where, where we'll be able to host an international competition. And that's a huge step forward for British baseball. Hey, out of curiosity, how many fields or baseball, like kind of specific baseball fields are there in the country? Are you, we'd have to ask Brendan Cunliffe, our facilities guru, for an exact number. I can tell you most of the high quality baseball fields in the country are on U.S. air bases <laughs> and they were built by U.S. service personnel overseas, you know, to give the guys an opportunity to do something, guys and gals, while they're, uh, while they're serving overseas. Some of those are in use in the leagues. There are teams in the National Baseball League from RAF Mildenhall and RAF Lakenheath, and 
they have nice fields there um, to play on. The other fields, you know, have been built by the clubs themselves. They get a little bit of funding from their local authority, their their council, and they can build a backstop. The nicest facility, in my opinion, is the one that Mike and I played on at Hearts, um, which is in, in Hertfordshire and Hemel Hempstead. That has two uh, adjacent fields. Each has a backstop and each has a permanent outfield fence. And it's the only facility in the country that I know of that has two adjacent baseball fields with outfield fences. So that gives you a sense of the, the level of facilities. It's, it's not like it would be at a, you know, where every high school or every, you know, major high school has a really nice field with lights. And there are no fields outside of the RF, uh, air bases that have lights. I would say in total, there's probably about 30 to 40 purpose built baseball fields in the country. Although I probably just butchered that stat, but it's, it's less than 50. Do you think that the number of, of fields and, and facilities is a limiting factor in, in participation? Like if, if there were batting cages around, do you think people would use them or do you think we're still kind of developing an appreciation for the sport and the fondness? I, I think that's a huge uh, limiting factor. The biggest hurdle to overcome, in my opinion, having played in the British leagues for six years is travel. Teams have to travel these great distances just to, to have a, a game on a Sunday. You know, for for example, the team in Croydon and South London will probably go three to maybe four hours if they have bad traffic getting out of London to go play at RAF Feltwell where the, the Bulldogs and the Diamondbacks play. Or, you know, a team, my team, the Southern Nationals, were up in Harlow. For us to get uh, to go play in Southampton, you know, that's a two to three hour trip. So, and the teams don't, the players don't necessarily live all around where their team field is either. So it's not like you all load onto a bus and go. It's a whole bunch of people driving their cars. You know, petrol out here isn't cheap. And that adds a lot of cost to what it takes to participate in baseball. That's one of the reasons why slow pitch, I think, is so, so successful because it's, it's easier for people to get into the sport and the leagues tend to be geographic based. And so people can just kind of show up at a central park and play a bunch of games and they can do it after work. You know, they can get out of work, go to Regent's Park in central London, which is like Central Park in New York mm-hmm. and have a bunch of softball games and fit that into an evening for to have a baseball practice. You get out of work at, say, five or six p.m., you drive an hour and a half to get to your field, or even if you drive a half an hour to get to your field, then you've got, what, an hour of light left before you got to start raking the field and pack the bases away and go home. So what about kind of the popularity of the sport? Has Major League Baseball done kind of cross the, cross the Atlantic? Is there a lot of following with people other than maybe expats or kind of more local appreciation of the game? I know a few few stations every once in a while show replays of baseball games, but with the time difference, sometimes it's tough to get live ones on, on terrestrial TV, but you know, it's yeah. kind of like MLB.TV and stuff like that. Is Have you seen a rise in popularity with the sport? I definitely, absolutely. The Major League Baseball has done a good job of um, getting games on the air out here. Um, the Major League Baseball International Office is based in London. And um, they've worked with networks in the past. Um, used to be on Channel 5, which is a terrestrial station here. Uh, you could see, you know, at 1 a.m. you could watch the, you know, a game on a Sunday um, or on a Wednesday night. And 
no longer is it on terrestrial TV, but ESPN America is, you know, on, on the cable, it's a cable channel out here, and they play games um, pretty frequently. And Radio 5 Live, which is a BBC radio station, has just started this year uh, airing an MLB broadcast on Sunday evening. It'll be a day game in the States, and they'll, it'll come on at about 8 p.m. here. And they'll, uh, they broadcast that live and, and talk during the, you know, between innings, give a bit of commentary about what's going on in British baseball. And, and that's, that's actually quite popular. You get, you know, thousands of people listening into that and hearing baseball on the radio, which is, you know, probably in the States, only aficionados will do that. Uh, you know, that's, it's an exciting way to listen to the game. But, you know, if you're not a purist, you, then I'm sure you don't have the patience for it. And out here, you know, a lot of people listen to that. So, the MLB's done a lot of other things too to to get the sport uh, more popular in Europe. In fact, this Sunday up in Manchester and Piccadilly Gardens in, in the center of Manchester, there's uh, going to be the MLB Roadshow, and they come and set up kind of like a carnival. They set up a pitching tunnel, a batting tunnel, uh, a, a kind of a mini field, and they get kids having to go at the sport, and they get a bunch of coaches working to, you know show kids what it's all about and then that's that's moving down to london the following week on um, the first of october and it'll be right in trafalgar square right in the center of london so um that they do things like that which is exciting and gets people into the game and of course just like everywhere else in the world you're walking down the street and you see you know a dozen you'll pass a dozen people who have yankees caps on not a whole lot that are wearing minnesota twins caps I, yeah, i'm afraid to say this year when you guys have just swept us yeah so, tough year yeah. But, uh, but, you know, the Yankee symbol is as popular here as anywhere, and, and MLB merchandise is quite popular here in the U.K. So do you, does that translate over when people come over to join baseball leagues? Are they coming over kind of because of that, or maybe they played cricket in the past or something similar? Like, what do you – is it a combination of both? Or? Yeah, you see, you see all sorts, really. You see people who saw it on TV and thought, hey, that's interesting, and they send an email off to the, to the British Baseball Federation and say, how do I get involved, you know? or to Baseball Softball UK, help, help me find a team, and, and we try and set them up with a club. You also see people who are ex-cricketers or play football or rugby, uh, football meaning soccer out here, and you know they want to try a new sport. You know, To be frank, you also see players who are haven't been successful at mainstream sports over here, don't necessarily, you know, haven't got on well in, in soccer or rugby, and want to try something else and and because baseball is a minority sport here it's a bit more accommodating really anyone who wants to get involved can there's a place for everybody so so it's easier for those kinds of athletes i suppose to find a team now that you guys have been kind of involved with the sport for several years have you been you've kind of put on camps and stuff like that for kind of younger generations are you seeing those kids continue on through the upper levels like when they reach 15 or 16 going into some of the higher level leagues it's a great question. Yes. Um, we see the progression has been, has been around for a long time from the British Youth Leagues to the British Adult Leagues. And in fact, the adult age uh, bracket is at 14. So as soon as somebody turns 14, they can, they can play up. What's really exciting now is that we're seeing a progression for youth baseball players here as they jump into the upper echelons of the sport internationally. So you'll get some of the top players come, the British players, coming out of the leagues here and say getting a scholarship to go to America and go to university and play baseball there or playing in a league uh, a semi-pro or professional league in Germany or Holland or Italy or Spain where there's there is semi-pro baseball played 
And that's a real exciting thing. It's also exciting to see those players play for their country and get involved with the Great Britain national team, um, which is, has been really successful lately. Um, they played second in Europe in 2007. Can you Took tell, st- just tell us a little bit about the, like how that all works, like the, the national structure? Sure. It's actually not much different than the national structure uh, for Team USA or Team Canada. There's, you know, every federation in the world and federations are members of, of IBAF, the International Baseball Federation. They compete in regional competitions, whether it's North American or European or Asian or uh, now even African. And then as they find success there, they're invited to compete at the international level in IBAF, either in the IBAF Baseball World Cup or now in the coolest of cool competitions, the uh, World Baseball Classic. And those are, of course, are national teams. So, for example, we've we've already seen Italy and the Netherlands play in the World Baseball Classic. Netherlands has done quite well in that competition the the first two times it's run. And, of course, everybody enjoys watching Italy because they get to see Mike Piazza work out as the hitting coach. And, you know, we play those same teams in in European competition. So Team GB is headed next year, this uh, coming September 2012, to the European Championships. It'll be in... Uh, and in the Netherlands, uh, Amsterdam, and uh, actually not in Amsterdam, in Rotterdam and nearby cities, we'll play Team Italy and, and the Netherlands. And uh, just after that, in likely in October and November of this coming year, we'll compete in the World Baseball Classic qualifying rounds. We've just been invited to go to a qualifier, along with some other countries that haven't had an appearance there before, and uh, like Israel and the Czech Republic who have uh, baseball federations uh, as well. And we'll, we might end up competing against some of the teams that didn't do so well in the last WBC, Team Canada, uh, Panama, the Chinese Taipei, and uh, South Africa are the four teams that didn't win a game and, and are being relegated back to the qualifying rounds. Where are those held? Are they all over? Um, well, presumably they'll be hosted by those four countries, but... Given the time of year in October, November, uh, you know Canada is a pretty cold place to play. Yeah. So uh, I would I wouldn't be surprised with that. The pools haven't been announced yet, and the venues haven't been announced. But I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, those competitions in Cape Town, uh, maybe maybe in Toronto in in the Rogers Center inside. If not, maybe in Florida or somewhere warm. You know, somewhere warm at that time of year. Maybe one held in Germany. Uh, where there are pretty good facilities and a, and a nice recent history of baseball development. Germany's really a success story that Britain can take some, uh, you know, some learning notes from. About 10, 20 years ago, Germany is probably where we are now in terms of working towards professional and semi-professional baseball in our country. Right, and they just had, they were at what, this ESPN, I think, front page article a couple maybe last week or something, of talking a little bit about European baseball as well. That's right. That was a great article. And there were some quotes in that article from people who are very involved in the game here in the UK. Uh, Clive Russell, who's the uh, uh, international director for Major League Baseball. Pat Doyle, who uh, heads up the MLB Envoy Coach Program and was actually the head coach for Team GB last year and is now the head coach for Team Israel. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to see that European baseball starting to get a bit of press. And it's exciting to see European players crack into the major leagues as well. We've seen it a few times with Dutch players. And we just saw the first Italian make his debut, Alex Liddy, for the Mariners. Greg Hallman uh, is also in, with the Mariners system as a, as a Dutch player. 
and uh, that's really exciting to see. And, and a lot of the, I guess, all the British teams, all the European teams, anywhere from around the world, the players may have had a slightly different introduction to the sport. Maybe came at a, at a slightly later age, or, or just not, not, not brought up with it as as many Americans are. Is that something that's evident in the playing styles? Or? Oh, that's, that's a tough question. Um, uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm just curious. Well, you, what you there are different forms of the sport here in Europe, which is I find fascinating and perplexing. Mm -hmm. For example, there's something called Welsh baseball, which I think is much more, it's much more like. Uh, it's it's much more like uh, the sport of rounders if you've come across that which is a uh, you know primarily a kids sport here in the UK they play in schools and in the park i think what you do see out here that you wouldn't in in the states is in competitive baseball some of the the unspoken conventions or people are just unaware of those they will show bunt on 3 and 0 they'll keep stealing bases after they're up by 10 runs because they're just not aware of those conventions yet. Um, you, you won't ever really, well, occasionally in the National League, you might see people uh, charge a pitcher or see, see the benches clear, but you won't in, you know, in the lower leagues. It's just, you know, it's it has a different feel about the sport, I suppose. Going forward, uh, what are some of the, the future projects or future issues that you guys are really kind of working towards improving on, like in terms of challenges and building participation in, in the sport? Well, the facilities uh, work that we're doing now is, is critical. We've talked about that already. Um, we're also starting some grassroots programs in the UK that one, one set of program we're calling Hit the Pitch, and it's about kind of breaking down some of those barriers like lack of facilities or travel time or the learning curve of getting into the sport. And so we're setting up hit-the-pitch programs in different uh, local authorities and getting support from the councils and parks, and primarily right now around London, but that'll expand regionally. And, and um, which is, it's, it's helpful for us to tap into local authority money because there's, there's already a lot of provision for sport in the UK. And what it requires is for us to convince people that it, you know, it's, it's a welcoming sport and it's an exciting sport to be a part of. We don't have a hard time convincing kids of that because it's got that cool Americana factor to it. And uh, adults who have seen baseball games are, are excited by it, but sometimes it's hard to get the word out in the face of football and cricket and rugby, which dominate the airwaves here. It's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to break onto, say, the BBC uh, sport homepage because there's just no room given the the volume of football news that comes out every single day and the only time it really does crack kind of the top five or top ten sports news articles in the country is with this new Moneyball movie coming out do you see any uh, I guess any impact from that is there a, kind of a buzz around the office with kind hmm. of a baseball theme movie coming coming out with Brad Pitt or is that really not going to have yeah that no that is it's US? exciting it's exciting for us because we're like, wow, cool, baseball movie, obviously. Yeah. But it's actually pretty significant that a baseball movie would be a major feature release in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's because of Brad Pitt. If it was, you know, uh, a less, lesser actor, perhaps that wouldn't be the case. Um, and I, I'm sure that films in the past, baseball films in the past, you know, they just they don't even uh, – they're not on the radar here unless it's got – you know, a Charlie Sheen or a, a Kevin Costner in it. And it's interesting, too, I mean, given that the themes and the content of that movie is so technical, and, of course, with the, the writing in the film, 
will be it, it's uh, Aaron Sorkin, right? And it'll be so lugubrious, I'm sure. And yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, baseball was really the sport that started kind of the statistical revolution, and now you have a lot of the premiership teams following suit with really statistical based, not gouting and analyzing their players. So, uh, well, it'll definitely give some boost to the profile of the UK chapter of uh, the Sabermetric Society. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much of the UK audience is going to have an appreciation for, you know, the nuances of, of the money ball theory. Yeah. Um, I mean, people but, know what OBP is and stuff. Like that. Exactly. So. But I'm sure they'll love the West Wing pace of the movie and, yeah. uh, and seeing Brad Pitt. The, it, it did make me think, though, about in talking about the rise of statistics here. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing now is a, is a revolution in the way that cricket teams introduce throwing programs to their players. And that's driven very much from baseball. It used to be that, you know, in cricket, there was really not an emphasis on throwing at all. There was an emphasis on bowling, and they teach people how to bowl, which is, you know, the equivalent of pitching. And then the rest of the focus is on is on batting. And fielding practice, throwing practice were, were quite minimal for cricket clubs. And now you're seeing baseball coaches find pretty decent work within cricket organizations teaching those players how to throw overarm how to save their arms and not throw the ball, flip the ball or throw it sidearm or, and you're seeing, you know, better fielding from cricket teams as a result. And it's not uncommon now to drive past, you know, a cricket field where you got a group of high school kids out there playing, which, and, and those fields are everywhere. And you'll see them wearing baseball mitts and, and having a catch, which is totally new in the last, you know, five, six years here in the UK. Well, that's really interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, that's cool. Have you noticed any other changes since you've been here and involved in the last six years? You say? Uh, well, probably the most unfortunate one for us publicity-wise at Baseball Softball UK is that sales of baseball bats jumped by about 6,000% on Amazon during the riots recently. <laughs> um, and we got a lot of phone calls asking for comments on that. Uh, it's not exactly the kind of press we're hoping for. <laughs> the other changes, I suppose, uh, in terms of the influence of baseball and softball that you see is probably in language. Uh, maybe this goes back more than five or six years here, you know, but expressions now like touching base or out of left field or a whole new ball game have really seeped into the the English, the British lexicon. And that's I, I think it's interesting. It's also infuriating to most Englishmen. Um, yeah, I, I actually I read an article about um, about Americanisms and, and British language, and it mentioned the baseball references that that are, I guess, the context of which is is generally unknown. I probably read the same article. Is it on on the BBC? I yeah, think? I think so. There was a follow up op ed piece to that because the there was an the original piece was lambasting that trend, and there was a follow up piece that was kind of celebrating it and saying. <laughs> You know, how great we are to have these extra expressions in the language. The bottom line is anything that is, you know, remotely American is, is always somewhat suspect here. And, and quite rightly, the Brits are, you know, cling to their, their heritage uh, and are very proud of it. And, um, and I think that's one of the nicest things about living in the UK is you see people really celebrate their history. And it's a it's such a long history, which of course you know we don't have in America, and so that's that's nice to see. And that's and one of the interesting things in terms of baseball that I've discovered since living here is that you know the proof now is that it is a British sport. There's been debunking of the, the fantastic Doubleday 
myth, you know, that it was truly an American invention. And really, like pretty much every other sport in the world, it was invented by the Brits and and the first games were played here. And then it was, you know, migrated to America where it really caught on like wildfire. But um, there was an interesting exhibition recently at Lord's Cricket Ground, and which is one of the largest cricket stadiums here in the UK, comparing the history of, of cricket and baseball and how the the interstices of those sports, how they've, you know, intertwined throughout the years. You know, there was a pro league here in the UK back in around 1890. The first World Cup, first baseball World Cup was played between two countries, uh, England and the US. And I believe England won. And that's the last time they've won a World (laughs) Cup. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, looking at the history of the sport, as it ties to the history of the country is fascinating. And I was totally unaware of that when I moved here. So I think with that, I think we'd like to wrap it up. And thanks again for, for joining us. One thing before we before we end, where can people find out more information about Baseball Softball UK or anything baseball-related in the country? Sure. I'd, well, I'd encourage people to, to go to BaseballSoftballUK.com or if you Google Baseball Softball UK, we'll come up first. And uh, we're... Like the rest of the world, we've we've latched on to Twitter and Facebook now, so you can find us on Facebook, and our, our Twitter feed is BSUK, and we're constantly tweeting, you know, news articles about baseball and softball in the country, but also Twitter's really cropped up as, as kind of the communications tool of choice in amongst baseball and softball clubs here, so, and they're tweeting scores back and forth, and there are all kinds of British baseball hashtags floating about in the ether, so... So check out uh, BSUK, and you can follow the national teams uh, by going to greatbritainbaseball.com or gbbaseball.com, and the Twitter feed there also is gb underscore baseball. So, and we'd love to get people who listen to this that are living out in the UK get get involved in the sports and get in touch with BSUK. We can help you find a team in your area. Great, thanks again, Jason. Great. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. It was a lot of fun. And that concludes the episode. You can find links to the aforementioned websites at sportstechnologypodcast.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Thank you. Bye.